Voices of VR podcast. Hello, my name is Ken Pai, and welcome to the Voices of VR podcast. It's a podcast that's looking at the structures and forms of immersive storytelling, as well as the future of spatial computing. And you can support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Voices of VR. So continuing on in my series of looking at the number of different experiences at Ifadoc Lab, today's experience is an immersive audio experience by Hakeem Adam. It was called Ghana Airways. And so this is actually a episodic piece that's broken up into three 20-minute segments. At Doc Lab, it was kind of in a running loop, and you would jump into the middle of it and then see it in a nonlinear way. But what I would actually recommend is that there's a Bandcamp version where you can listen to the linear version that has a little bit more of a structure where it has a beginning, middle, and end for each of those segments. And so you can either listen to this hour-long piece before this conversation or get a little bit more context where you can listen to the conversation and then go back and listen to the entire experience. Because there was a certain aspects where the narrative is a little loose. It's a bit of experimental and it's very symbolic and it kind of washes over you in a certain way. And then that was sort of the intention. If you're actually from Ghana, then there may be certain sounds that are evoking these aspects of cultural nostalgia. But not being from Ghana, not having any reference, then it helped me to have the conversation and then go back and listen to it again. But it is available if you do want to have an actual experience of this piece. Uh, I'll have a link in the description to a Bandcamp link where you can listen to the entire experience. And there's also a bunch of writing that Hakeem has done about this piece. And so one of the things that I did when I was listening to it, since I had listened to it before, was I was reading through some of the other deeper thoughts that he had about this piece. And so you can mash up the many different modalities. There's this oral history conversation that'll set a broader context, or you can kind of dive into this piece in many different modalities. If you want to read the show notes and the research paper that he did along with it, because this was his thesis project, or just kind of listen to it raw and then get more context afterwards. So that's what we're coming on today's episode of the Voices of VR podcast. So this interview with Hakeem happened on Sunday, November 13th, 2022 at IFA Doc Lab on the streets of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. So with that, let's go ahead and dive right in. So I'm Hakeem Adam. I work as like a media artist. I'm interested in storytelling generally and like I just like to use digital media as my means of expression. I have a background in writing. Um, I studied English and psychology for my like undergraduate degree and I felt limited by like poetry or like writing as like a form of like not enough people reading versus listening or watching so I wanted to explore different you know ways of telling stories. Got into video, um, got into sound, got into programming so eventually I'm like here like you know making these kind of like I call them storytelling projects, but they do like involve a lot of like new media, whether it's like um, 3D visuals or um, like spatial sound or like you know scripted sound or even um, VR or web design. Those are like my like storytelling modes. I do a number of different things, but for Edfat, those are the main things I do. <laughs> so maybe you could give a bit more context as to your background and your journey into making yeah. this type of storytelling with yeah. digital media. Yeah, it started with, like I said, I, I have this, like, you know, university training in, like, English. I learned how to, like, do what we call creative writing for, like, two years as my university program out of four years. Um, so very, like, very much interested in, like, how we tell stories. But it was explicitly through text, you know, and I I was involved with, like, the local art scene in Accra. I was working as, like, a festival producer, media guy for, like, this street art festival in Ghana called the Charlotte Street Art Festival. So I had this exposure to international artists, kind of like Itfa, traveling to tell these new stories, like, all these media. I, was like, ah, I could also do this you know it doesn't look so hard and for me it was also like a way of like meeting 
or like connecting with audiences like myself who are not like so worried about you know writing or like or film but like you know this kind of like kind of like this medial ground between all these technologies that we have access to and there's a lot of stuff that's happening so yeah i had a chance to do some residencies one was in maputo maputo fast forward and i met um will hurt a uk artist who introduced me to max msp and that's when i started getting into like programming and like being able to like you know make my own tools to like tell the stories i wanted so i started doing sound experiments building like little instruments in max msp and then I, I was also like learning about video art on my own, but I wanted to learn how to like program and like be able to build like systems to tell these stories. So I applied for uh, this degree program at the University of the Arts in Bremen to do digital media, which is kind of like an intersection of like practice, media theory, and just like making artwork, I guess. Oh, sounds so good. <laughs> so I, I came to this program as a way of like developing or like being able to tell more complex stories maybe um it was mainly theory based i have to be honest in germany they don't really like teach you how to like make stuff it's more about thinking about what you're making and then you decide what works for you so being in that school i like tried physical installation i tried sculpture i tried a lot of things but yeah there's always something about sound to me you know like i don't know it's just easier to think about things through sound than it is to think through a lot of other media so yeah, so I decided to take that passion into making this project, which I'm showing at Ifagana Airways, which is like a, originally a sound project looking at post-colonial identities and instances of hyper-nationalism. Like, for me, it's a way to um, use Ghanaian oral storytelling or oral, um, oral literary forms as a base to tell my story of my identity and like reflecting on things about like national power, collective identities, you know, and kind of like storytelling in general. Um, there are other things, like I started my own like platform called Dandano to archive African film and music. I've been doing it for quite some years now, but I haven't been active. And that was also a lot of training about training on what was happening on the continent related to like kind of like new media you know like what were the filmmakers trying i remember one really important piece was black presidents by kujanai churai who is a zimbabwean um, fine artist and it's like you know it's again it, it straddles this line between like documentary and what we are now calling new media very well you know it's not a really coherent story but it makes really good use of like the screen as this kind of space to tell stories you know and i've been trying to do that like i take like, for example, another project I did called One Fifth of the Earth Surface with a friend, Maxwell Mutanda. We looked at, like, extending the bounds of the, you know, the rectangle that you have on your PC or on your phone as, like, you know, as this digital space for storytelling. But I wanted it to be an ocean. So I wanted to extend the screen to feel like an ocean and be able to tell the story. So, yeah, I'm still figuring it out, to be honest. But that's kind of like, you know, working in festivals, meeting artists, working as, like, a journalist or, like, I don't know what I was doing, but, or reviewing, <laughs> reviewing other people's work and thinking about like my own processes, how I've come to like, you know, this stage where I can like think about things and then design my own tools and design my own process for showing it. It's a roundabout. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of helpful context for this piece of Ghana Airways that you're showing here at Ifa Doc Lab because it's a 60-minute audio piece split up into three parts, and you have three suitcases with a video component, but then it's kind of playing in a loop. So my experience of this piece was that I would go up into the suitcase, and often it would be in the middle of the piece, and it would be kind of like, okay, what's happening? What's the context? And then sometimes it would be music. Sometimes it would be like little oral history nuggets, and then I would find myself wanting to to find where the beginning was, to see, okay, where does this start? Okay, what's the original context? So I found that like by doing each of those pieces that I would kind of have to repeat that process. I almost wanted to have a button to say, okay, can I start from the beginning? 
to make sure where I'm like sort of starting from the beginning so that I'm not like sort of jumping in the middle. But I'd love to hear like your process because the narrative structure of this piece is a little bit fragmented in a way that you can kind of drop into it. But then at the same time, I found like like if I'm jumping in the middle and hearing something that uh, there was something before that that would have provided more context to understand something. So I'd love to hear that decision making process of how you structured the piece. No, this is um I think this is amazing that you brought up like the button, you know. So originally like this piece it was fully based in sound. I started with like one episode, did the next episode, did the next episode and at the same time I was writing about it as like kind of a complementary process of like, you know, how these ideas in text I think about how do I express them in sound and then write about it again like as a feedbacking process you know so the sound pieces are like really tight you know um we were dealing with like online audiences we were like 20 minutes is like perfect <laughs> for like most kind of like online content that's supposed to be long form you know if some people can do three hours but you have to have like a really big name for people to listen for three hours but for the kind of experience i wanted like 20 minutes was perfect so that was kind of the structure you know we have like i have three parts within each episode or three or four parts like there's a distinct intro which is you know i try to make sure each piece had a similar feeling beginning of like some kind of like ambience to kind of like settle you into the story and like some there's like a lot of like repeating or um oh, these kind of like um narrative devices like the airport's tone which is like repeated across all the episodes as a way of like alerting you like anytime you hear the the airport tone you know like something important is about to be said so it's a way of also building that continuity through the audio so in just the audio there are those links and also designed for you to return to you know it's because it's a dense subject first of all and also just part of the way I wanted to construct this, this my reimagination of oral literature, you know, I wanted it to be something that you can return to because of the convenience of digital devices or digital media. You can always go back, you can pause, you can slow it down, you can play it at half speed, just have a different experience. So there's that form. But for it, for specifically, I send them the work as just audio, but they were like, yeah, they like it and they want to find a way to bring focus to it, which is really important in like a context of a group exhibition where you have a lot of other works, you know, so they were like what do we do and um i was like yeah you know i'm always working in visuals <laughs> we can we can make something so i decided to program this kind of like alternate layer of conversation you know so the i didn't want the visuals to kind of complement too much or distract too much but just be like kind of enough that there are hints to what's happening but you don't i don't want you to stare at it the whole time like once you figure out that ah you know, for some sections, there isn't so much happening. You just focus on the listening. That was like my way of like, you know, doing it. And we had also had ideas, like you said, with the button of like, you know, having the audience being able to go back to the beginning or being able to structure their performance. There's actually a version which it will have, which has the buttons on the screen. But we just couldn't figure out like an interesting interaction mechanic. Like for me, the one thing I didn't want was for like someone to have to interact with the work for something to happen. Because I felt that that was too much of a like a barrier between the work and the audience. I just wanted them to be able to, okay, come into it. And then I think they didn't do this. But we had this idea of like, oh, there was also a way to like show that, oh, you can listen to the work or download the episodes. So you can have that kind of like personal experience and like being able to like go back and forth. So, um, yeah. So for me, this has been like a experiment, I guess. You know, I... I haven't done a lot of like trying to situate work that originally was for I mean I've done it twice but I don't have a like understanding of it so much you know of like how people interact with it or like will it be boring will they be confused by it but I just wanted to try it and see what will happen because and I think it was probably helpful to not have so much interaction because seeing the numbers and like it might have been a very difficult for people to always be going back or going forward but yeah you've given me a lot to think about it's like your experience of it too thank you yeah, I feel like there's a bit of like spaciousness in the piece where 
you know, there's little audio pieces where they're speaking and talking, and then there's some music and the soundscape, and so it feels like it's very rich in its sound design. And you know, like for me, I would like to like go back and watch each of the sections, you know, from the beginning, just kind of watch it straight through because I think I may have even watched first episode, third episode, and second episode. <laughs> like I went around in a certain direction, but I like like I went around this way to the first one and then the second one and the third. So I went to the so so even I like I don't even know if I <laughs> saw it in the right order. So <laughs> it was yeah. So I guess it's like taking a piece and making it more like you can drop in, but there's enough spaciousness in a way that you almost have to kind of be. Seen in and there's a soundscape and you're getting a vibe and then you're getting little nuggets about what the deeper meaning is around the identity yeah. but maybe you could take a step back and describe a bit of what the Ghana Airlines means to you and why this is the focus of this location and all the soundscapes around the Ghana yeah. Airlines um yeah you brought up a really interesting point about like the audience experience a friend of mine um Joko Wayland is an American artist street artist and he said this thing about the piece to me that like sound is immediate and it demands immediacy you know and i think like that was kind of like the thing i was like chasing and like doing this work and like being intent with sound like i wanted to have you to have these feelings of like some immediacy in certain parts of it i didn't want it to be overwhelming that's why there's a lot of space um, but i wanted you to like just i don't know just be able to feel what i was feeling as well you know, in a weird way. Why is relevant? Um, so it's modeled after the story of Ghana Airways, which was this airline started by the Ghana government after independence from the British as a way of kind of like, you know, establishing the nation, you know. I talk about kind of like the post-colonial African nation-building exercises. There are like things that were promised, like electricity as becoming modern, airlines becoming modern, you know, roads, infrastructure. We, there were all these projects or promises that came with like defining this new identity maybe historical context so like Ghana as a place did not exist until 1957 I mean the people were already there but like the nation itself was like you know put together and like my dad and myself are from this ethnic group which were kind of like collateral damage of this exercise you know we are split between both Ghana and Togo and it kind of like splits your culture and your identity between these like French and British nations in the end because I can't speak to my relatives in, in Togo and they can't speak to me in Ghana, although we just like a, a thin line between both places, you know. So yeah, in a way it was to search for like my own place within this kind of like, you know, this identity that we all decided to adopt after independence. We all decided to become Ghanaian. But I was like, it was a bit inadequate for me because, you know, there's always a majority sentiment and like coming from a bit of a minority group, you don't always get represented in like, you know, what people call the Ghanaian sound or like, you know, the Ghanaian arts, you know, it, it's never about your people. So I'm like, I'm also Ghanaian as well, you know, and also then being in Europe and trying to make work and people will be like, eh, but this is not the Ghana we know, you know, <laughs> because they have, again, the, a specific identity. And for me, it wasn't about is this right or wrong? I just wanted to like, okay, there are dimensions and it could be cool that we could explore this, you know. And it was also in a nice way, this political theme was also related to kind of like the the cultural phenomenon of oral storytelling, you know, which is that like there isn't like one fixed story. Nobody owns a story. There's not like a correct way, you know, things come together, you know, to create the meaning. You know, that's one of the emphasis that's a lot of the ethnomusicologists place in studying these kind of like oral literatures. It's not really about like complete meaning. It's more about experience, you know. So I wanted to like, yeah, talk about the airline, the nostalgia, the nation building, put myself into it, also reflect on oral storytelling, I guess. But I decided to use the airline and the airport as like a framing device because I think it worked with audio, you know. Like airports sound amazing. I don't know why. I think the acoustics, some are questionable, like smaller ones, but 
you know, there's always this thing of like sound in airports is just a lot different from everywhere else. They're really interesting acoustic environment for me, like everything that's happening. And also like in terms of like identity, it's also a really interesting place where you have this like so many identities in one space. And it's also really important to differentiate, you know, like there are different lines for Europeans versus non-Europeans. So like, you know, it, it brings these issues to your, um, your face, essentially. Um, and maybe another thing was also like... Um, thinking about like air travel more abstractly you know it's like this thing of like surrendering control you know like that's why i use the voice of the pilot a lot it's like i'm taking charge now this is my story now you're listening to me it's like okay you, you know you, you you give up your control to this guy and like he takes you to wherever you, <laughs> you're supposed to be going so in a bit of a way of also reflecting that but there were there were a number of tiny things that came together but i just settled on the idea of like if I frame this around the airport and the airline, I can tell a good story versus if it's like more spread out because there's always a focal point and they're like the airport tune or the different voices or the different scenarios can all anchor the story and I can like depart from the airport to other places or different stories. So, um, yeah, I work in this kind of like roundabout way. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the different layers of sound because you have the ambient sound design and then you have the music and then you have the audio pieces that you're putting in there and maybe you could elaborate on you know what type of music and how that music yeah. is connected to different aspects of both your identity and mm -hmm. culture and if there's different types of fragmentations uh, within the expression of music and yeah just talk about the different layers as you're listening to this piece it is a multi-layered piece where there's all these different sounds that are happening within the context yeah. of this piece yeah i mean for me like it goes back to like what some academics would call sonic thinking you know this for me, it's like this way of like thinking about meaning as it exists purely through sound, not in other media. Um, and there were very deliberate attempts. Like some of the sounds were designed to like evoke specific nostalgia among very specific people. Like there are like adverts that like, unless you grew up in Ghana with me, you probably never have the reference, you know. But there's also like there's this excitement of air travel, which a lot of people around the world can relate to. So there's also like thinking about that sensibility, you know. There's also kind of like what we class as like warning signs or like alert signs alert sound sorry you know like like what you're hearing right now these very you know like as soon as you hear it, it it alerts you to something which is a form of meaning or a form of communication but we take it for granted because it just happens all the time you know and there's also like evoking place and nostalgia which is like you know trying to like translate the feeling of maybe being in ghana or being in a specific place into like what what it sounds like to me and hoping that the connection exists so there were all these like I didn't have a list, but I had a clear idea of like kind of the different sounds I wanted to use. And then it became this question of like, how do I create like this through line between them? You know, do I use my voice? Do I use sound effects? How do I like transition, you know, to move to the spaces? But for me, it was very clear of like kind of like the different layers of sound I would need to like create something believable. That was also a big thing for me. You know, I wanted it to feel real because Ghana always was real till 2006 <laughs> collapsed. But yeah, um, yeah, it wasn't like a straight process. It was just more of like thinking and reflecting, you know. Um, I think for the very first sound I recorded, I wrote a poem. This is the sound of home. This is the sound of the size of sound. Like the, the things I recited in the beginning of the first episode, I wrote that down. I was like, oh, what is the sound of home? You know, it was such a difficult question to answer. Like just giving myself that challenge of like, okay, if you have one minute to design this thing, what is it going to be? And then thinking about how does this fit into the story you want to tell. So, um, yeah, for me, it was very clear, like, the kind of sounds I needed to create. But then it became the major challenge was, like, making it all coherent, making it all stick together and kind of, like, not necessarily 
always believable, but just enjoyable, you know. You don't have to care about the things I'm saying, but I just want you to evoke something in you that you can, ah, this is calming. Why is it calming? Or this is, or this is jarring. Why is it jarring? You know, that's kind of like what I love about working in sound. You know, it's, I mean, there is cognition, but there's a lot of these pre-cognitive things that, you know, just happen and it puts people in certain spaces so they kind of like think about what they are listening to. Um, yeah. Yeah, I get this sort of impression of like, with that nostalgia or this looping nature because you are jumping into the middle of a piece sometimes. And I, I remember in the second episode, which is the third one that I saw in my order, I think it jumped into maybe halfway or three quarters. And there's this moment where there was like this announcement saying, okay, now we're going to either talk about either a national anthem or apology or something. And then there is a big space. And I think there was some chanting that was maybe in the Ghanaian language that I didn't yeah, quite understand. The, and then, yeah. it, well, it, then it was like, okay, this is what this, and then I was like, wait, did I miss it? And then when I listened to the second time, then I realized that you said, okay, now we're going to go into this. Then there was a big pause and there wasn't anything there. I think my mind kind of wandered off like at that moment, <laughs> the first time I listened to it. And then the second time I was like, okay, I was like really intently, okay, what? I want to understand what this section is. And then it was like in a language that I didn't necessarily understand. And so then it was like, oh, okay, that's what it was. Yeah. So maybe you could sort of describe that moment because my memory of it is kind of fragmented. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, my memory is also, I can't clearly remember because there, again, like for me, you know, I have to talk about this because you're doing a podcast. That was also like one huge source of inspiration for making this kind of audio work, you know, like this kind of, again, second resurgence of podcasting. There's this podcast called the Podcast Studies Podcast. I don't know if you know, it's by um, Professor Dario Linneo and Professor Laurie Beck. They are these academics who talk about like what's happening in like, you know, this world of like knowledge and like purely audio sense and like can it be applied to kind of like an academic context you know and they are written books about this but for me what's interesting about podcasting is like you know this kind of like dedication to like long-form storytelling in some sense you know like people want to listen but you also have to design it in a way in which they can listen you know so I was taking a lot of inspiration from like that kind of like realm of like creating knowledge you know um of like okay how do i hold on to the listener but still allow them to feel what they want to feel because essentially i wasn't trying to construct meaning it was more about i have these pockets of feelings that i want to transmit but they have to kind of work together again the limitations of the audio media if it was film you just make a transition you how do you call it fade in and out right but in audio you can't fade in and out between every single section then it's just like an album or something you know i wanted to like push it beyond that I can't remember your question now. <laughs> oh, just there was a, this, the, the moment in the second episode where like yeah. this is something from either a national anthem or a national apology or yeah. something that they was saying and then it was a, a chant in a language that I didn't quite understand. Yeah. So I didn't know what... Yeah, there, there's a section where I was referencing this South African composer, Neil Muyanga, who is talking about this song... And it's one of these kind of like oral things that a lot of Africans do. It's originally like a South African song, but it became a resistant yeah. song for a lot of African nations, you know. Um, and then after that, there is kind of like this traditional prayer. And because the song in Afro, I think it's in Zulu, but it's translated to a lot of languages. It's talking about like, you know, we should give everything to God, which is kind of like another classic post-colonial African sentiment of like God solves of your, all your problems, you know. And then, you know, so we transition from that into this traditional prayer where he's also like, you know, talking to the gods, not the Christian gods, you know. So again, it's like we all have the same intentions, but they're expressing 
in kind of like in different capacities. But again, what was interesting is like this use of sound of like, you know, putting your problems because literally the priest, it doesn't come across to the peace, but the priests do the things by water. They talk to the water, which is the God that they worship and like pray to that God, you know, but it's still like putting your problems into the realm of sound and then just letting them reverberate and seeing what hits you back. But the reason I was talking about podcasting, so they are kind of like parallels because I think in episode two there's also something like that in episode three there's also something but i can't remember <laughs> the exact moments of what's happening but i try to make all the episodes similar so it always starts with this kind of like ambience for like two to three minutes and then there's like a bit of like my voice and then the main theme appears and then it goes into a second conversation and there's a transition and then there's some kind of like overview-ish and then a bit of music again so there is very familiar if you listen a lot of times you you start to see ah okay <laughs> it's it's not so um I had trouble knowing when, when the beginning and end was. Yeah, I think that's part of the, yeah. the challenge of, like, if it, it is a formula, it was sort of like I was jumping in, in the middle and trying to know, okay, now now I can sort of really pay attention and get, like, more full context because it's like almost putting a puzzle together in terms of trying to understand that and when you're kind of jumping in the middle in that way. Yeah, that was, I mean, it was something I really did think about a lot. You know, I wanted to figure out a way to, like, what I was thinking, was it relevant to, like, let people know at what point they were in the audio but I was worried of people again like just listening to a certain section because they'll figure out ah 20 minutes is such a long time to be standing you know and then they'll be like you know so in part that's the reason for not like not clearly defining the start and end points and making it like all gel together but yeah it's and thinking about it too it's also hard to reflect on it because this was very specific for this kind of audience you know and the work has already been out for like a few months now which is just purely on the website with the text which is also a very different experience so this was it was an experiment for me i i, I don't know <laughs> moving forward like if i would do it different i think i enjoyed this kind of like drop-in um version just because of like you know the clunkiness of interaction with screens and physical spaces and people being uncomfortable or people doing too much yeah but like for me that maybe i tell you like the ideal kind of listening scenario is always it's more personal i guess it works more when you have time with it but for this we have to like try <laughs> yeah i'll have to check out the original version of that i guess is it on your website or is it on yeah, youtube or it has a separate website but it's also linked through my website i'll, I'll send it to you it's the website for the audio is a generic thesis.vexor.opal so I, I can't remember exactly what's this but my website is hakimadam.info like I think Ghana is one of the first in the drop down menu one of the first um, items and then you can go to the project website which has all the texts all the references all the sources I use which is also like that's the thing you know here I can't show you all the references but if you go to the website and you see the sources it will make more sense because you see what I was like the kind of concept albums I was listening to in making the work and maybe it will like create some connection you know so I didn't want everything to be dispersed purely to the audio there are all these like I guess new media <laughs> we can like, yeah the, the metadata the sources yeah exactly. that's yeah exactly which is like a big thing of podcasting um i guess which is something i borrowed from thinking about that realm of like having the show notes or like you know this description which um you know reveals more about the audio piece which i think in the research work they describe this as paratext you know this other body of knowledge that helps give the podcast some grounding you know so i was like oh okay then i can this can be part of my storytelling process not just an afterthought of like citing sources you know so it was yeah this thing of you know creating a narrative but not always making it coherent you know trying to spread it out as much as possible yeah yeah it reminds me of this conversation i had 
he was really into the, the fandom communities and he was talking about the differences between polychronic and monochronic cultures and now in the United States it's very monochronic it's sort of very linear in its way of thinking and the polychronic cultures like I'd say Africa has a lot of you know I've heard from some of my South African friends the Africa time where things happen when they are there's like sort of a moment when things emerge or happen but it's less yeah it's a natural rhythm yeah right but having the structure in a way that you kind of drop in I feel like is more leaning towards that polychronic structure rather than more of a linear monochronic. I don't know if that was also a, an intentional or, or a side effect. Well, I think it's interesting because, like, you know, like, again, you work with audio, so you know, like, everything has to follow time. You know, you can't, like, you can warp time in audio, but it doesn't, like, always happen, like, in the way in which you think about warping time. You know, you can't just, like, leave 10 minutes of a gap between something, you know, in the same podcast episode. It just doesn't work like that. You have to be very kind of, like, intentional about every single second of audio you know so in a way that's that's an interesting limitation of trying to tell like a disjointed story because like in a way you have to you know at least even just for like the health of the ear you can't just like you know come from a really loud environment to like a silent environment or like have these like sudden spikes right you have to like kind of also think about the listening experience which is fundamental to the storytelling so for me it was interesting to straddle the line between like okay thinking in this like linear i'll always see the ableton timeline you know like how the doors arranges everything is linear and like this straight form but you're like oh, okay maybe this is above this is below you know you can build these like how do they call them rhizomes or um these kind of like hierarchies or these kind of like circles again when you don't think about the audio purely as this kind of like linear thing so I, that was one thing i was really really trying um you know of like a bit of secularity a bit of stacking but as a way of escaping the first linearity of like working with digital audio in a door or something you know yeah i can definitely definitely see that you mentioned that there's some oral history parts and what was the process of either were you capturing those interviews or conversations or were you was there existing archives that you were drawing from a lot of research um mainly from books to be honest and also the internet and a lot of like stuff other people had done because i I wasn't able to travel to ghana at the time i started the work was like height of pandemic so even travel wasn't like quite an option you know and i couldn't I just couldn't trust anybody to go and be recording random stuff for me to like sift through, you know. So I did a lot of like research through books, like an interesting exercise of like trying to write myself into the oral history. So I'll take like, you know, traditional songs like the national anthem and like, you know, do my cover version of it. You know, anthems are supposed to be like, you know, like rousing, you know, these very like kind of like alive pieces of music. But I wanted to make it like more distorted and like, you know, add these kind of like extra harmonics, like, you know, fractured the niceness of the anthemic feeling, you know, or some of the what I call the Ghanaian standard songs you know songs that like every Ghanaian knows from like singing it in school through your life or like they are just in the you know the reality of things you know how can I also write myself to them some of that was like MIDI sampling taking the MIDI transforming it taking the audio transforming it but for me that was a way of interacting with the oral knowledge because there wasn't a lot of sources I knew I had to create more than I could sample and I also wanted I wanted a challenge of like you know again like making things that I felt were Ghanaian but didn't necessarily conform to like the sonic standards. But yeah, a lot of sampling like from YouTube heavily, but also from like textbooks, you know, taking the sheet music, turning it in, into MIDI and doing something with it was a lot more um, convenient for me. Yeah. And I did also try like to use my, vo- my voice to like, you know, but it didn't feel authentic. And for me, there was no point in like, you know, duplicating things that people maybe like 50 years did, right? There was like one instance I'm talking about I think it's one of the first recorded Ghanaian songs 
Oh, why can't I remember the name? Oh my God. <laughs> but it's, it was recorded in London. Um, it's like a guitar solo. It's high life music, which is like a really important kind of like Ghanaian sound of like this kind of like guitar music. And I found the recording and it was like, you know, from, I don't know, 1930 watts. It was a lot of dust. <laughs> the vinyl was warped and it was really difficult to listen to. But I still wanted to do something with that, you know. So rather than like just sampling the audio, I was like talking over it and like, you know, expressing kind of the anger I felt because this record had like a I found it disrespectful because it was such an important piece of Ghanaian history but the kind of like the circumstances in which I found it were very annoying you know it's like I found this vinyl record and like you know it's the sound is so hypnotizing but like the description and like who owns the copyrights or like you know there was like, like an image of a dog and I was like why is there a dog on the why not the artist you know why is there a dog on so rather than like, you know, sampling the audio, I was like sampling my emotions, just like getting my emotions out into the piece. You know, that was another way of, I guess, like dealing with the oral, um, oral knowledge. I wanted to like make my own more than take, but also reflecting on what other people did and like building my world from that. Yeah. So I was at a, a philosophical conference in 2019 talking to a Latin American philosopher talking about colonialism. And they were talking about this mestizos word of the mixture, where there's a mixture of the colonial identity and then the sort of original culture's identity. And there's a fusion of that where you're negotiating between how do you take on this colonizing culture versus your more native indigenous cultures. And so maybe talk about your own process of trying to negotiate those mixtures and those boundaries of identity in this piece here. Yeah, that's a really good reflection. For me, I think there's even three, you know, I I think about it as like kind of like the pre-colonial culture, which we would never be able to experience because it was no writing purely, you know, but there are still remnants of it. And there's also like the kind of the colonial culture, you know, like in Ghana Airways, one of the themes is like, from this ethnomusicologist, Professor Kofi Agau, who talks about tonality as a colonizing force in Africa, you know, how the churches and missionaries came and, like, thought about Western tonal harmony, and, like, you know, you have to sing in this scale, you know, compose, you know, to, you know, two, five, one, whatever, to, like, create these kind of, like, emotional reactions. And it's still communication. I, I value that a lot, you know. Knowledge of tonal harmony is still very valuable, but it was, like, you know, it kind of erases all forms of like African melody and like we think about African music purely about rhythm now because like you know that's what survived the drumming is what survived and not like you know what people were doing in terms of melody you know so um so there's that layer of like the colonial influence and then there's the modern influence like listen to um Jimi Hendrix or Kendrick Lamar or 50 Cent or Kanye West or like whoever you know and it's also influencing your understanding of yourself now you know because Ghana again is a new idea new nation with a new culture this amalgam of like all these different cultures into one thing to create an identity so for me it's like all these three layers and making Ghana is, for me was just about where do I fit in essentially you know I, I I so much wanted to contribute to kind of like oral storytelling because I felt like it was part of my cultural heritage it's something that Ghanaians have been doing for thousands and thousands of years of just using sound purely to construct knowledge and then here I am like only writing <laughs> you know in a different language you know so for me that was that's essentially Ghana it's a way of like okay researching and learning more about this thing that is part of me but also finding a way to make it my own like what do we do with it what what do i do if i know that Ghanaians were some people were making songs in the 30s with guitars or how um, certain rhythms were traveling across the west african coast on slave ships like what do i do with that essentially you know i i, I don't want to 
I mean, we all know that bad things happen, but beyond that, what else do I do with that? I have a creative mind and I can only make things, you know. So I just wanted to like find a way that, oh, okay, what can I add to this and how can I exist within it, I guess, essentially. I, yeah, it's, it's, for me, the project was never about like making sense. I knew I wasn't going to be able to make sense of like all these different layers of kind of identity and influence and politics, but I just wanted to express myself, essentially, yeah. Yeah, definitely, as I go through it, I'm infused with all these different things. And I noticed that there was somewhere that you had said that this was a part of your thesis project. So yeah. is submitting this project, are you done? Or then do you have to like write up a whole paper, <laughs> breaking down all the theory of it and defend it? Or They tried, they tried to get me to do that, but I didn't. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I had to defend my thesis, but I'm lucky I'm sitting in Germany and we don't have like... I mean, they, they value kind of like academic output, but that's not the goal of my university. They are more about practice. They're really like practice-focused school. So we had a workaround around that. Like my professor was like, yeah, this is important and you need to catalog it. And I also agree that like, yeah, it was important to kind of like make something that can exist in the academic realm as like something people can also sample or reference. Um, so there is an essay on my website which doesn't explain Ghana Airways, but talks about the five different things that Ghana Airways is. Like I talk about this being like a research process, a way of staying in touch with my heritage, a way of thinking about or researching oral knowledge. I talk about like digital audiences, basically all the things I'm telling you in like all these different sections. So I did that, but it's not like a pure, I didn't, it wasn't like a typical academic defense. It was more of a very kind of informal focus, but there is that kind of text because I value that knowledge space still. I think it's so relevant, you know, in getting stuff out, yeah. Okay, so people can go to your website to listen to it and then read more yeah, about it there. So my, Yeah, they can go to my website and then they can, the first thing you see is the essay, but you can also write next to it, there's like a red button that says visit website and then you can go listen to the Ghana Airways. It takes you to a different project website where you have to find where the audio is, or you can also find the text or you can find the sources. I mean, the audio is the main thing, but honestly, this, for me, it was more about just putting all the research out there, and then you can decide. If you just want to read a text, fine. Like, the point is still made. If you want to listen to the audio, it's still fine, yeah. Right, and, uh, and finally, what do you think the ultimate potential of using all these new media, immersive technologies are to tell stories and what that might be able to enable? Yeah, for me, like, I think audio is extremely powerful, especially now, you know, like, we can have a recording like this of decent quality outdoors with like you know very minimal equipment i think is a really powerful tool because in places like ghana like a lot of people still do not know how to write in a really kind of academic sense of like writing you know there's still a lot of knowledge that's produced that's purely audio and like now we have the bandwidth on our phones or like with these apps to you know upload high quality audio we have like the free software or like you know all these amazing tools to like do things with audio and for me i wanted to like show that yeah we can still the same thing that the people of our podcast were like trying to talk about us like it's still a valid knowledge space you know it, we don't have to always translate things from sound into text for it to be valid you know it can still exist validly on its own so for me that's what i think the potential is like i i really hope I'm trying to do more work like this to kind of still drive home the point of like, yeah, you can still contract meaning purely through sound with the support of text, of course. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's really it. I, I hope that, you know, there is still, because I think there is audiences, you know, I, you might maybe have more experience of publishing podcasts, but I think there are still like a lot of people interested in like listening to something for three hours, whether they are working or jogging or like, you know, there's, there's a lot of, chances for people to experience audio and i don't know why it's just joe rogan or like some you know the kind of generic taking things that worked on tv into 
radio. For me, it doesn't, it doesn't harness the potentials of the technology or the media. And I, I wanted it to be as weird as possible to just show that, yeah, it's <laughs> there is stuff we can do. Yeah, that could be interesting. Yeah. Awesome. Is there anything else that's left unsaid that you'd like to say to the broader immersive community? Um, no, just thank you for taking your time and also sharing your reflections with me. Like, I don't know, it's always interesting because I make this work with like a really narrow focus, you know. I, a lot of the times I'm thinking purely about myself, but it's still like amazing to meet people like yourself who are able to like, I don't know, relate to it in some sense. So yeah, I'm like really grateful to you for taking the time to talk to me and like, yeah, looking forward to interacting with your audience as well. Like, <laughs> What's the best way for folks to keep in touch with you? Uh, my website. Unfortunately, I'm a bit old school because <laughs> Instagram tires me. But on my website, I think all my like latest work is, is yeah, I don't do Twitter. It's too noisy. I, I don't post a lot on Bandcamp, also YouTube. But yeah, I will share the links with you and you can share. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I very much enjoyed diving into the experience of Ghana Airways here and look forward to listening to the other iterations and reading through what else you've written. And yeah, I'm really happy to have a chance to catch up with you and get a lot more context. So thanks for helping unpack it all. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. It was amazing talking to you. Yeah, really looking forward to hearing the episode. <laughs> sound exciting with the sound of Amsterdam in the background. Yeah. <laughs> So that was Hakeem Adam, and his piece was called Ghana Airways. That was showing at IFA Doc Lab, and it was actually recorded on the streets of Amsterdam, an area where you hear a lot of ambient sounds, which I thought was very appropriate for this piece that is all about trying to bring in all these nostalgic elements of the Ghanaian history and culture and exploration of identity. So I have a number of different takeaways about this interview is that, first of all, well, I think I would have preferred to experience this piece in a linear fashion, having a reset button where I could see the beginning, middle of end of each of the different episodes and to see the episodes in order. And even if I did that, there may have still been things that I might have not been able to fully pick up on. It really took me to have this conversation with Hakeem or it would have been beneficial to have available some of this written text. I haven't seen as much of that when the context of an exhibition where you have a bunch of text that you can read along with it. But there's a lot of visuals that were along with this piece, and I thought that I almost would have rather listened to the piece and be able to read a section by section. You know, a lot of the writing that Hakeem has done is kind of like this thesis level quality of unpacking a lot of these different aspects of what this piece is about. And in the absence of that, I'm left with this symbolic communication of a cultural reference of something that is understandable from someone who might be from Ghana, but not having those cultural references, then I have to have those symbols unpacked and the meaning described to me in a little bit. And maybe there's certain aspects of a piece like this where it's an exploration of identity where it is always going to be these personal nostalgic or cultural references that are trying to capture this. There were actually a couple of different segments in the writing that Hakeem did that I wanted to read here just to further elaborate some of the different elements. There were a couple of sections that did jump out to me that helped me understand different aspects of what he was doing with this piece. So from some of his writings from his website... There's a website that's called thesis-opal.versal.app. If you go to his hakeemadam.info, there's a link that says visit website. So it takes you to this other website and there's a notes. And within the notes, there's a fluidity of national identities, oral knowledge system, and then narrative media and sound. So there's like these three different sections that are all in the same URL, but you can click on and dive into. And then, so in the oral knowledge systems, there's a couple of quotes I just wanted to read here. Hakim says, in trying to understand Ghana, I look to the kind of history Niketia describes as narrative that is neither elementary in form 
nor presented as coherent. The sonic event in the Ghanaian context, be it through song and ceremony, work or healing, can be translated as a mode of transcribing experience into material, in this case, song. Through the conceptual machine that is Ghana Airways, I give myself the artistic license to unravel the threads present in some of these songs, the principles and methods of their design and performance, and the social settings of their consumption and reflection. In my study of Ghanaian oral tradition, I am therefore looking at abstract sonic elements as evidence for or against my idea of what Ghana is. The narrative is never intended to be coherent, rather it, it offers a mode of thinking through writing and through sound that allows the oral tradition to be explored as practice and theory, operating as a material that operates sculpturally in my nonlinear and incoherent narrative. So that was kind of like describing my experience of it in the sense that it was something that was kind of washing over me and I was having trouble understanding it because it is this narrative structure that is very sparse. There's not a lot of context to understand it. You know, in his writing, he's giving a little bit more context, but even if that writing was there, I think having this conversation with him helped to give a broader context for me to kind of understand what he was doing and his intention with it. And he is saying that it's operating in a way that is a nonlinear mode of storytelling and the way that they were displaying it was in a nonlinear mode. However, after seeing and, and experiencing this piece in the way that has kind of the beginning, middle, and end, there's certain cues that he has where you're building up and setting the context where you kind of feel like you're in this airport with all the different sounds, and then you kind of go on a journey and there's something to kind of wrap it up. But having this in a running loop where you're kind of jumping in the middle, it's sort of hard to already in something that's a bit of an incoherent narrative, deliberately so, kind of thrown in the middle, there's even less parts to kind of hook onto what the overall structure is. And, and, and listening to each of those three sections, there's a way that there's a repeating structure to those three elements. And so that was able to help me process and understand how things are structurally fitting into what he's doing with this piece. So that's feedback in terms of like having a reset button to be able to actually listen to it from the beginning, because I do think that there's certain contextual elements that help you understand. And because it is like this 20 minute feels kind of like a diffuse, sparse, dreamlike quality that is hard to get oriented when you're thrown in the middle and you don't know where it's beginning and ending and you have three of those sections, then it ends up being a bit of a blur of a memory. But yeah, just to understand those structures. Also, having access to the writing also helped me start to process and understand the deeper theory of what he was doing with it, because there is this kind of symbolic translation that he's doing that I'm not understanding those symbols or those memories. And so it helps to get that deeper context. There's one other quote that I just wanted to read. It's a section from Dialogue in Ghana Airways, Oral Tradition. He says, Indeed, like Bopape and the other sources cited above, Ghana Airways is intended to unfold as a dialogue on a few axes, but oscillating around identity politics in the national sense. Identities, no matter how concrete they may be on a visa or a grant application, are dynamic and fluid, evolving with their concept of their birth. I'm therefore interested in dialoguing with the fluid facets of my Ghanaian identity by probing the concrete fragments present. For example, in Ghanaian sonic or music traditions, I hope to reach the same consensus or cathartic understanding of the principles that organize and characterize this identity as a ameliorative creative act. So there's already different aspects of this post-colonial identity of all these different influences and these different strands of trying to unpack. And so he's got modern music on top of this 
Ghanaian culture and these different elements of the colonizing culture that are also fusing in there. And so there's trying to wrestle with all these different influences on top of this. And so there's a way in which the the incoherent or jumbled nature of it is also representative of the confusing nature of the identity as he's searching for. And so, yeah, just as a, a reflection of how that structure and form is also reflecting these other dimensions of this searching for identity, which I think is a, a key theme that he's exploring both in this discussion that I had with him, but in reading the writings that he did, that there's these themes of that as well. So again, I haven't typically seen a way of showing a piece that like has this dreamlike sub-symbolic quality that has a lot of symbolism, but it's something that's even pretty verbal and it kind of gives you a mood or a vibe in having access to this deeper writing about something. So anyway, I found that there was a lot of ways to further dive into this piece after having this conversation and getting a lot more context and understanding and seeing how all these different sonic influences were coming together and how to use this kind of ambient sound design as a way of exploring different aspects of oral culture that may not fit into a traditional narrative structure. So anyway, that's all that I have for today. And I just wanted to thank you for listening to the Voices of VR podcast. And if you enjoy the podcast, then please do spread the word, tell your friends, and consider becoming a member of the Patreon. This is a listener-supported podcast, and I do rely upon donations from people like yourself in order to continue bringing this coverage. So you can become a member and donate today at patreon.com slash VR. Thanks for listening.